As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. For the first time since 1996, the New York Jets are 0-5 to start the season. 30-10, they go down to the Arizona Cardinals. No surprise, really, that they lost the game. We kind of expected that going in, but it was a rout in the end. Maybe no surprise either, but I, I kind of thought they'd put up a better fight. Subscribe to the pod wherever you listen. Give us a five-star review as well. Lots coming up on the show today. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris, our producer. We're going to talk about Le'Veon Bell's tweet likes. We're going to talk about the draft because we're probably going to talk about the draft more and more as we go on through this season and just kind of what went wrong on Sunday against the Cardinals. Connor, let's start there. Um well, I guess, first of all, it was a pretty smooth day for you, which it hasn't always been on game day. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I pre- you know, it's actually funny. I, I this is like obviously we're, we're this is like my favorite time of the year. Like we're, we're starting to get into like true fall and like when it goes from I mean, the summer's fun. I like going to the beach. I, I love going out. Obviously, shorts are great, although, you know, they, they reveal my chicken legs, which, you know, obviously my friends like to make fun of me for and all that. So I like pay- I like where you can go like t-shirt and sweater weather like my go-to yeah yeah but like more than anything else like and people know this about me like my favorite article of clothing in the entire world is the quarter zip and we are fast approaching official quarter zip season and i might have like jumped the gun probably by like a week on sunday but i was able to rock the quarter zip to the game so i went with like my favorite brown quarter zip with a dress shirt underneath and i'll be honest with my brown boots that i got from my guys over at strivewise like i was freaking rolling like i was like my like i looked good like i was like one of those where like i was going to leave the house and brie even looked at me she doesn't like giving me credit too often she looks she goes like you match pretty well and like quarter, <laughs> i gotta give like quarter, like i never even knew the quarter zip existed until like three years ago and dan popper who uh graduated with marissa at, at maryland which obviously kind of takes him down a peg or two but but is our uh our chargers <laughs> writer he's uh he's he's the one who turned me on to quarter zips and i was like man that's like because you can do it up and make it like a formal shirt. You can do it down where you still look good, but you don't look too like too over the top. It was great, man. I, I was absolutely all about my quarter zip and was finally able to break it out and look good. And I actually almost, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's actually over in the corner right now. I was going to wear it again, but as I woke up today for this pod, I was like, all right, we're doing the video podcast. We're going to be rocking and rolling. 
um, we're gonna be we're gonna be ready. I like opened my my closet to uh, to to grab one. I was like, oh, you know, what? I'll just wear a hoodie today. And I'm not gonna lie, and this is probably like the the bad sign of of us all being together too long for this podcast thing. But I opened it up, and the and the sweater sweatshirt. I'm sorry, the hoodie I was about to put on was the Monmouth one that Marissa made fun of me for <laughs> on the Zoom call like six months ago when quarantine first started and we were all doing these Zoom things. And I put on like this big old Monmouth sweatshirt I used to have. And it is. It's like three sizes too big because like a year ago, I was 40 pounds heavier than what I am now. So like it, it like encompasses it just consumes me. And I remember I like I wore it on a Zoom call and Marissa saw it and I got a text message like, what is that? So I looked at it. I was like. I can't wear you that posted it. So I put this one on. I didn't think about it. I was like, it's a you were like, I realized, I was like lunched over in your thing. It was like Sam Darnold, you and your oversized hoodie. You looked half asleep. <laughs> and I was like, really? I mean, I know we're on Zoom, but you know. And I, I broke out a suit for our next uh, our next one for that just to, <laughs> yeah. to kind of show Marissa so we can we can make it work a little bit. But yeah, I like I looked at that hoodie and I was like, that's too big. You know what's funny too is I've thrown it in the wash and dryer trying to shrink it up because Marissa's <laughs> in my head now and I can't it doesn't work. The thing's like stuck being really big. So I, it's just it's there for memories now. We got a you comment on Twitter. I comment on Instagram that I mean <laughs> Gosh, I'm losing it too on YouTube that says, really, we're talking about your clothes. You know, the season is over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about anything else. We're opening up with that. That's the sign of, of how this, I mean, I, yeah. I'm stunned it's gotten this bad, but yeah. Saturday we're going to get into it. Don't day. worry. It was, uh, yeah, we'll get to the game. It was, uh, what, almost 80 degrees. We went actually hiking this weekend up in the Hudson Valley and man, it That's was hot. hot on Saturday. Yeah, good trip though, overall. Um, it, it allowed me to not have to watch the Jets game live, which was nice. Watching it in a, a shorter amount of time on tape is, is a much better experience. Um, all right, let's get into the game a little bit. And I want to start here. Uh, we talked about what the Jets would have to do to keep this game close. And you can pretty much go through the list and check them all off as things that they did not do on Sunday. One was get pressure on Kyler Murray. They didn't get pressure on Kyler Murray. Now, they did somewhat keep him from scrambling, but he still ended up with a couple big runs and 31 yards. But he picked them apart, 27 of 37, 380, touchdown and a pick. And one thing that stands out to me, Connor, is that in five weeks, the Jets have allowed career-high passing days twice. Josh Allen in week one and then Kyler Murray on Sunday. Career highs in yardage. It's just it's just bad. Uh, Hopkins had a huge day. They were supposed to contain that. Um, and... It was just ugly all around. Um, just quick thought. I don't want to focus too much on the game. Um, you know, this is a chance to talk about other stuff, I think. And, and we've done this week after week where let's not focus too much on the game. If they win a game, we're going to do an entire episode breaking it down. Yeah. But trying to move things forward. So just what stood out as the worst things from the Jets on Sunday? It's <laughs> What's what's the worst? What was the worst part of Sunday? Yeah, it's, I mean, let's start there. Uh, no, it was. Um, God, man, there's. I I don't know. You mentioned the defense. I guess we'll talk about that because I don't know how much you can rip the offense, knowing that like they started Joe Flacco and they're a dismal disaster anyway. And and I mean, Gase is a lame duck head coach right now. It's just there's a lot going on with that offense. But defensively, I think this year has been the most kind of disappointing aspect of it because you know obviously there were questions about Adam coming into the year there was questions about Sam coming into the year there was questions on if there were going to be enough playmakers and 
when you look at everything that's happened, like the the gambles that the Jets were taking, saying like I think this offense can be successful if all of these risks that they took, if they all pay off, like that's where the Jets will be good, and that's where the Jets might be able to do something on offense. Well, actually, like literally none of those things have happened, with the with the exception of the offensive line, which when they're healthy, they've been at least serviceable. Everything else is the, the playmaker experiment has been an utter disaster. Chris Herndon has developed in absolutely no way, shape, or form to the point where the Jets are now no longer starting him. Uh, Sam Darnold obviously was regressing. Then he got hurt, so he's off the field. Uh, the offensive line, which I said was serviceable, is now hurt. Um, the receivers are bad. I'm trying to think, whatever. But, like, you kind of expected, like, you s- foresaw that potentially coming where, like, if this thing doesn't go according to plan and the the risks that the Jets are taking right now, if they don't pay off, this could get really ugly. And, you know, narrator, it did get ugly. Like, that did actually happen. The defense, though, is the one where... <laughs> the defense, though, was the one where I thought they were going to be better. And, and I was freaking wrong on that one. But, like, I thought the Jets were going to legitimately be improved on defense because they were bringing back virtually everyone. That's something Jordan Jenkins lamented, like, ad nauseum. All offseason was, man, it's the same defense is coming back, the same defense coming back. Really, the only changes that the Jets made, obviously trading Jamal Adams, which was going to be a step back, but now Marcus May, who had such a good training camp, was going to be stepping into that Jamal Adams role. And then they upgraded the corner position. Tremaine Johnson was gone. Daryl Roberts were gone. Pierre Desir, bless Austin, in his starters. Those two guys were supposed to be, no one was ever going to consider them a, a uh, elite-level secondary I mean in no way shape or form but they were going to be better than what the Jets have been because those guys were were going to give you effort that Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts were not and instead they've been an utter disaster and the Jets defense I mean the Jets defense has not allowed less than 27 points this year like they've allowed more than 27 points in every single game like that is that's we're, we're nearing historic levels of incompetence from this defense. I mean, 27 plus points every single game. I mean, there are offenses that you can say like the Jets offense had a good day. They scored 26. You can say the Jets offense had a good day. They scored 28. They scored 30. And they would still be like one and three in these games. Like they would have beaten the Bills in the opener and still lost every single game after that. So that defense continues to be the most disappointing part. And it, honestly, when I like when I watch Greg Williams coach now, like when when the Jets hired him and and when he was coming in, he was supposed to be like you know the second G in Greg stands for genius and and it's like oh it's Greg Williams <laughs> and he's gonna throw all of these unique fronts out there and and he's gonna make all of these crazy 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 uh, blitz schemes where he's gonna put eleven guys up at the line of scrimmage and then three are gonna come but you're not gonna go which three they are so they're gonna get home and they're gonna pressure him and. And with the state of this Jets defensive lineup, the defensive roster, which which for the most part has remained largely healthy, aside from not having C.J. Mosley, which, who, my man, he made one hell of a decision taking his $10 million roster bonus and opting the hell out of this one. I mean, give that guy some credit, COVID or not. That was a, a smart business decision by him to not take hits in this lost season. But um, I, I think that, like, what the Jets defense has done and, and how bad the Jets defense has become and how bad the Jets defense ha- is – I think that for me has been the most disappointing part of, of this year. And and like I said, that's not hiding the offense. That's not taking away Adam Gase's ineptitude and Sam Donald's regression and, and the lack of playmakers and all this stuff. But like you kind of, if you were analyzing this team going into the season, you kind of, you were like, all right, give me worst case scenarios, best case scenarios, medium case scenarios. You realize this was the worst case scenario for the offense. You realize this was possible. 
With the defense, I never really thought this was possible. I thought the defense was actually going to be pretty good this year. I thought they were going to be at least middle of the road, and their ceiling was going to be even more than that if Quinn Williams really developed. But, I mean, looking at this roster now and, and through five weeks, I can go on offense and pick players that I think can be potential building blocks. Makai Becton, obviously. Uh, P. Ryan, obviously, I think that guy can honestly be a player. Denzel Mims is the great unknown, but he was a second-round pick for a reason. You've seen some of the promising uh, play from receivers this year. When he gets healthy, he can do it. You look on the defensive side of the ball, and you go to try to hang your hat on players, and there's really not too much there. Marcus May is going to be a free agent, and I don't know if he's done anything this year to really warrant being brought back. C.J. Mosley obviously opted out. Quinn Williams has been invisible in all but one game this year. It's it's bad and like I can at least find some players on defense or offense where I'm like oh I these guys I think can be legitimate I don't see that on defense man this this defense is this defense is bad and and 380 passing yards to Kyler Murray uh 496 yards of total offense and it was 500 before two kneel downs it's it's not good it's not good yeah it's certainly not and the offense isn't good either and it was the Joe Flacco attack on Sunday, and he was exactly, I think, what we expect, although maybe a little more nimble than I anticipated as he had a couple of decent runs. But this offense also went up three trips into the red zone, 10 points. Now they've nine trips into the red zone on the season, which is <laughs> got to get more than that. But they've only scored two touchdowns in those nine as well. And there's a lot of individual things, as usual, you can point to. They had the long 14-play, 79-yard drive. And then they can't get one yard on two plays to keep that drive going. It was just ugly. And as ugly as it was, it led to after the game, Connor. Here we go again with Le'Veon Bell. He's back on the field and actually ran the ball okay. Didn't really receive much. Um, But he's back on Twitter, which can't be good for this team as well. He didn't actually post anything himself, but he liked a series of posts, including yours. So congratulations on that. Um, But basically... um, People that talked about it's time to trade Le'Veon Bell. Should he be traded? Is he not being used the right way? Which was yours. You tweeted Le'Veon Bell, whom the Jets stressed the need to involve in passing game this season, had one catch, one target, seven yards. That was Same liked by Trayvon Le'Veon Lesko. Bell. Um, I mean, it's just as bad as things are, this team certainly doesn't need this. No, no, they don't, man. And I think that like that for me has been I'll tell you this like when it comes to like this Bell and Grace Gase relationship it's always kind of been a little volatile and and what I mean by that is that you kind of always saw the possibility for this to go south because Le'Veon Bell is a guy who is not used to losing I mean this was a guy that when he was with the Steelers that team was winning 10 plus games based basically every single year and was constantly in Super Bowl contention He's not used to losing. He's also not used to not ha- being successful on Sundays. And he's not used to not being the offense's focal point. And with Adam Gates, the one thing that we've seen since he's taken over as, as a head coach, both with the Dolphins and now parlaying that to the Jets, is that he does have a reputation which is uh, getting justified a little bit here in, in that he struggles with the all-world superstar personalities that, like, I don't think he necessarily knows how to handle guys that go in there and look at the coach and say, like, well, I'm the superstar. I'm the guy getting paid all the money. I'm one of the best in the NFL. I don't know if he... It's kind of a big skill if you're a head coach in the NFL. Yeah, and and it's one of the reasons why sometimes college coaches aren't able to parlay that to, to the pros because when you're a college coach, like, you're the guy. Like, Nick Saban is the guy. Coach O is the guy. Like, they are these guys. Like, they are 
what is known as the Joe Paterno when he was at Penn State, he was known as the guy. So players when they're 18, 19, you know, 20 year old kids, when they get to college, they're kind of like looking up the coach like, wow, I'm playing for these guys. When you go to the NFL, you start making Pro Bowls, you start making all pros, you start getting the, the $15 million a year. You're making significantly more than the head coaches. And there's you got to find the best coaches in the league are the ones who are able to like bridge that gap of, you know, finding a way to connect with those guys while also motivating and all that. It's like, it's not an easy thing. And, and obviously I think Gabe with super the studs and the guys that are all world talent. And, you know, the, there's been like the last year plus we, we um, the, the tweet gate before when, you know, the quote unquote, my hamstrings are fine. Uh, we saw everything that happened right after uh, Mike McCagney had gotten fired. And it was reported that, you know, Adam Gase didn't want to pay Le'Veon Bell, which was, kind of a half truth it was that when when Mike McCagnan and Adam Gase met about Le'Veon Bell it wasn't that Adam Gase told McCagnan I don't want Le'Veon Bell he said I think Le'Veon Bell is a cherry on top player when you have the offensive line when you have the receivers when you have the quarterback you add Le'Veon Bell and he takes you to the next step he's not a player at 26 27 28 years old that you sign as part of a team that's rebuilding because by the time the team's ready to go Le'Veon Bell is going to be beat up and and kind of basically over the hill and run into the ground so you know Gase didn't really believe that it was the right time to go add Le'Veon Bell. And then Mike McCagney walked into his office one day and was like, hey, guess what? We signed Le'Veon Bell. And and that was kind of just the disconnect that had always been there between, you know, McCagney and the Jets front office and the coaching staff and all that stuff. But aside from that, like you've kind of always seen from that to all the crap that happened at the trade deadline to the hamstrings are fine to like all these little tiny things kind of. You've always believed that like, look, Gase likes Bell now. Bell, I think, likes Gase to an extent, but you kind of felt like if this season started to turn south and this season, the losses began to pile up. And then with those losses piling up, Bell also was overall not very effective and not used and not putting up those numbers that he was used to with the Steelers. You kind of saw the possibility that this thing was going to fracture and potentially turn volatile and absolutely spoil well before the season came to an end. And and I think you're starting to see that now because Bell was wildly ineffective in the opener. Then he suffers the hamstring injury. He's out three weeks. He comes back here. You mentioned he had a decent day running the ball 13 for 60, but the Jets spent this entire offseason. Adam Gase spent this entire offseason talking about how he spent so much time watching Le'Veon Bell film and he spent so much time talking to Le'Veon Bell and he believed that now in 2020 he knew the better way to use Le'Veon Bell and he had a better understanding of Le'Veon Bell's skill set and this year the Jets are going to be using him as a runner they're going to be using him as a receiver they're going to use him out of the backfield they're going to be using him in all these different ways because now throughout the offseason Gase had found different ways to use Le'Veon Bell and that was going to have them more be a, a more beneficial offense this year and Bell was going to be more effective and here you are in a situation where clearly you have a a legitimate receiver problem outside of Jamison Crowder. Uh, your your tight end that you called a unicorn and was supposed to be the difference maker on offense literally cannot catch the football or hold on to the football. And you have this all-pro, all-world running back that you kind of said like, well, he's going to be a guy that's going to do so many more things this year. And you managed to throw him one single pass. And he caught that for seven yards, but one total pass. I mean, that is... The same amount of targets as Trevon Wesco, your fullback, who caught one pass for five yards. It's less targets than Braxton Berrios, your backup slot receiver, who had received two targets and caught nothing. It's right in line with Chris Hogan, who caught three, who, were at, who saw three targets, caught all three passes for 20 yards. 
like, where is it? And, and Gase said, like, they put a safety down to kind of, like, stop Bell. But but clearly, Bell doesn't agree with it. And, and while Bell uh, brought himself in and didn't go on the Twitter storm of tweeting, the fact that he's liking tweets, highlighting the fact that he was not thrown to, is an endorsement. The fact that he is liking tweets, referencing the Jets' need to trade him and get rid of him to send him to a contender is an endorsement of that. And and now what we have and and is stunning. And like I said, you, you kind of saw the possibility for all of this to happen if the Jets lost and Bell wasn't effective this year. You saw that this was going to happen. What I'm surprised with and what I'm taken back with is that it's happening and it's October 12th. Like we're through five games. There's still there's still 11 weeks left. There's still 11 games left, 12 weeks. And it's already this bad. And just so everyone knows, it's not getting better. It's just going to get worse. Like, like they, they still got a, a two games against the Patriots. They still got to play the Chiefs. They've got the upstart Miami Dolphins two times coming up. They've got the Chargers in L.A. who look good. I think they play they the Rams and the Raiders. They've got those. They play the Seahawks. The Browns. <laughs> the Browns. They play the Seahawks. Like, they play, <laughs> they play, like, these legitimate good teams where there is a very real possibility the Jets win only one or two games this year. We're through five games, and this is already starting. Like, what happens when the Jets are 0-7 and Bell's got 10 carries for 20 yards and Frank Gore's got nine for whatever? Like, it's just, it's it's concerning. It's concerning because you saw the possibility of this happening. You saw the likelihood of this happening. You knew this was possible. But the fact that it's happening after week five on October 12th with so much more football still to play, this is where you talk about a team splitting and you talk about bad teams and dysfunctional teams and really, really bad teams. And where I've kind of always said, and and why the one thing I'll go back to here is like, and, and I'm sure we're, we'll get into this more later on, but when Todd Bowles was, was when it, the, the things had kind of run its course with Todd Bowles and you realize Todd Bowles was not going to be the Jets head coach for very, for much longer uh, during his final season there in 2006, 2017. Um, what you realized 2018, I'm sorry. What you realized was as that season kind of kind of ran down and ran its course was like Todd Bowles wasn't going to be brought back and the, the, the fire Todd Bowles, fire Todd Bowles, fire Todd Bowles chance were coming. But the one thing where it was like it doesn't make sense to fire Todd Bowles was because the Jets roster had issues. The Jets roster had injuries. They had a rookie quarterback that year. Like the things weren't progressing as hoped, but the Jets were still competing in games. They were not getting their asses handed to him. There was the one, the Matt Barkley game, where, where I think Christopher Johnson almost pulled the trigger and did let go of Todd Bowles. It was after Matt Barkley threw for like was signed off the street and threw, and threw for like 700 yards against the Jets. But aside from that game, Todd Bowles always had his team prepared. The players always fought for Todd Bowles. The players always went out there and performed. They just didn't win games, and they couldn't close games and all that stuff. But they at least fought. They were in games, and they would blow them. It didn't make sense to fire Todd. Where I agree with making an in-season coaching change is when you start to see players tune the coaches out and when you start to see players quit and when you start to see players say, I'm I'm done with this. Like that's where a change is not inevitable, but a necessity. And what you're starting to see, and Le'Veon Bell is just one player and no one else has come out and spoken yet, but when you see what's happening with Le'Veon Bell, you can see the possibility for a player that's going to not only quit, but start to cause problems in the locker room. Like a guy that's going to start to be so angry and so annoyed and so frustrated with the coaching staff and the head coach and the play calling that he's going to start to tune himself out and that superstar personality is going to show. If other guys start to follow, follow, and, and that hasn't happened yet, but if other players start to quit, 
that's when it becomes the cha- like I know the Jets have their questions at offensive co- off like who's going to run the offense. I know the Jets have their concerns with Greg Williams' defense is just much of a disaster. How's he actually going to make anything better when his team's allowing twenty seven plus like his units allowing twenty seven plus a game? Where this could go really really south is that you see what's happening with Bell. You see the the volatile situation potentially there with Adam Gase is that if this Jets team starts quitting and then this thing gets even uglier because you look at the Jets right now and this doesn't look like a team that's playing for their head coach. This doesn't look like a team that's taking the field on Sunday that feels they're overly prepared for a game. This looks like a team that gives you one or two possessions where they fight, they fall behind by two possessions and they just cave in and it's like, okay, give me my ball, I'm going home, I'll just try again tomorrow. And that's where it gets bad. And when you talk about a team that has literally lost every single game by two plus possessions, an offense that has scored more than 17 points once, a defense that has allowed 27 plus in every single game this year, and an average, like it's it's like Jets have been outscored something like 175 to 62, something absurd like that. I got to look up the exact numbers in my game story if you want to go click it. This is where you're starting to set the stage, again, on only October 12th, where it's not like Todd and it's not like Rex, where guys were playing hard for him and fighting for him. You have guys now that look like they are quitting and giving up and not taking the field and actually trying to compete. And now you potentially have a locker room that's about to split and turn on the coach. That's where it's 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 fast approaching a point where I know the Jets want to keep Gase the rest of the year. I know they don't want to create more variables to, to, to stunt their development of Sam Darnold or evaluation of Sam Darnold. Not development, but evaluation of Sam Darnold. But a change might might be a necessity if this if this continues this way and the jets have to find some way to nip it in the bud and and i don't know i don't know how you do it all right connor take a drink there yeah you need a break all right well i got funny i got i got super coffee here because i i woke up a little late and i was like all right i gotta write like i gotta do my exeditional stories and i had like ideas in my head for whatever reason i woke woke up with ideas today to write i was like all right i don't want to lose them so i like got to the computer i started my coffee got to my computer started writing but I didn't have a chance to eat breakfast yet. And I've been up since like 9.30. So like I'm starting to get a little LBS. So a rant is definitely going to be coming. Uh, low blood sugar. I was like, I was like, wait, that's a, that's my family's like little acronym for that. But low blood sugar. Yeah, LBS. Um, so I got like my super coffee with the protein. But then I made my coffee. So I have my actual coffee oh. as well. So I'm like. It, so it's got- showing. It's showing, Connor. Double. Double, double caffeinated, baby. Double caffeinated. Yeah. Double fisting caffeine. Chris, my editor is going to love that. Yeah. Double fist and caffeine. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. <laughs> How about the fact that Marissa, Marissa did the entire DraftKings read and did not, and, and managed to avoid the fact that she went three and zero last week. Ah, uh, I was, I was trying to avoid oh. the fact she went three and zero this week. I <laughs> hey, I went zero and three, so yeah, I went one and two again. Slow and steady. Yep, yep, Marissa, that's comeback. Go it probably it gets pretty close to our team. Yeah, have your moment. Have your moment to shine. Yeah, we're we're all pretty uh, even, I think, overall. I yeah, think, two uh, games separate the, the three are... total, so it's good stuff. Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting next few weeks. Something's got to be interesting. Might that as well be our picks glow. every week. Yeah. That was right. a weak glow. Right. You went 3-0. and oh. You got to like have your moment. That was weak. 
I didn't like that. I was weak. You know, Connor, I don't like to brag until I have the trophy in my hand. We hands, do need a trophy. So Did I say we're going to get one then this you. year? Like we're gonna, we got to get like an actual yeah, we trophy. Should work yeah. on we like this, I think I said we're going to get like the Stanley Cup where it has the champions every single year. Look, that'd be cool. If we could get that donated, that'd be great. We'll name, we'll name it the Michael Dunn to honor all the Michael Dunns in the chat. Well, they have the Stanley Cup. We've got the Michael Dunn Cup. That's what we're going to name it in honor Love of all it. of our Michael Dunns. All right, so uh, this segment, we should go kind of big picture. We'll talk about the draft a little bit, uh, but let's talk about Joe Douglas, too. You actually brought this up in kind of the the pre-podcast chat about what we should talk about. I was a little surprised because, Connie, you have been a, I'll say, you've been a Joe D- Douglas defender for the most part and giving him time, and he's the right guy eventually. Um, but Robbie Anderson, week after week, just torching defenses is making Unreal. making Joe look bad. Eight catches for a buck twelve versus the Falcons on Sunday. He's got three hundred yard games in five weeks. I mean, Robbie Anderson looks like exactly the receiver that the Jets need right now. Yeah, he does. I I'll be honest. Like, I it, it's so it, it's t- the Robbie Anderson move is the one that this entire like all, I think you can dig in on him for because the Jets had their reasonings for it. The Jets had the why they did not offer Robbie more than what they did. And, and we've gone over it here before. They saw him. The, this was their Jets. This is not my evaluation. This was Jets evaluation. It was they, they saw Robbie as a guy that was largely just a go deep player. Uh, they saw Robbie as a guy that um, there was some concerns that because of his off field history, that if he got paid, he might not be on the field for every one of those games because he could get himself in legal trouble again and get suspended. Uh, they viewed him as a guy that that was limited in everything he could do within an offense because he's somebody who, if he's not the offense's number one option, he kind of has a chance to to not give you as much of an effort. Um, it was an evaluation that not just the Jets shared because if everyone thought Robbie Anderson was capable, or if anyone else thought Robbie Anderson was capable of this, he would have gotten a hell of a lot more than two for 20 from one team in the Carolina Panthers. I mean, this pretty much came down to the Jets or the Panthers. They were the only two teams really realistically pursuing Robbie Anderson. Uh, other teams decided to make trades for for Brandon Cooks. You know, the Texans went after and got Brandon Cooks instead of, you know, trading Hopkins and then signing Robbie Anderson for free. I mean, great, that was Bill O'Brien, but, um, you know, there, there was an option there for, for the Texans to go out and get him. And I, I think that, that was a poor evaluation, which is, it was the wrong evaluation. And it's surprising that the Jets couldn't see Robbie Anderson's potential to do what he's doing in Carolina, having had them in her, in their system for four full years. Like the Jets had him his rookie year, his second year, his third year, his fourth year. And I know Joe Douglas just got here, but Adam Gase had him for two years and 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 uh, or had him for a year. And, and the pass regime had him and they had tape on him. They saw him in practice and they looked at him and they still said, like, this is our evaluation of him. They let him go. He goes to Carolina and suddenly he's doing everything. I mean, I watched a little bit of that that Panther game. Like I tuned it on and I've kind of heard some of the announcers talk about it. And they're like, yeah, Robbie Anderson's a guy who they really like because he has the ability to do so many different route combinations. And I'm like, Robbie, I was told this entire time he quit. I mean, that was the one bugaboo and the one massive like red flag for the Jets this offseason. The one massive red flag for Joe Douglas this offseason is that they evaluated Robbie Anderson. They put a number on Robbie Anderson because they felt he couldn't do all of the things that he's doing in Carolina. And I don't know why they felt that way other than that's just how they felt. And that's the one big issue. Some of the other 
critiques on Douglas to this point, they're ones that I, I don't I don't necessarily understand yet. And I feel like so many people, and maybe it is like the um anger from like the fan base at their own five. Maybe it is the uh frustration from the fan base at their own five. I think it might also be because technically Joe Douglas has been this team's general manager for almost two years. But he also has only had one offseason because he was fired right or he was hired basically right after the free agency in the draft because the Jets let Mike McCagden do all of that. So you look at this and and you kind of say like the one thing I always go back to is like it's this. I guess it's probably the easiest way to put it. And I'm ramp. I'm getting stumbled on my words a little bit. But you can rip Joe Douglas and say he did not do enough. Right. Like he did not do enough with this roster this offseason to position the Jets for for success and to win. OK, but. What else could he have done, right? Like, we'll look at receiver. Robbie Anderson, obviously, that's the big bugaboo. That's where it's like, you screwed up, dude. You should have signed him. But the Jets brought in Brashad Perryman because they saw that as the consolation prize. What was the other option that they could have done? Because Amari Cooper was never leaving the Dallas Cowboys. Emmanuel Sanders wanted to play for a contender. He went to the Saints. Cooper went back to the Cowboys. Those were the two top receivers on the free agent market. When Robbie Anderson went to Carolina, the Jets went to the fourth best option on the on the uh, free agent market, which was Brashad Perryman, saying, you know what, this guy's healthy. He can do what he did for the Bucks the second half of last year. He's going to be a really good player. It obviously didn't work, but what else was Joe Douglas supposed to do at receiver? Was he supposed to draft someone in the first round? You couldn't draft somebody in the first round because they needed to take the offensive tackle, Mekhi Becton. Could they have traded Jamal Adams at the NFL draft, gotten that pick from the Cowboys, and drafted C.D. Lamb? Yeah, that sounds good in theory. The Cowboys didn't offer the Jets anything on the draft for Jamal Adams. The option was there. The Jets were willing to trade Jamal Adams during the draft if they got a first-round pick. Nobody was willing to offer them a first-round pick during the draft for Jamal Adams. They did not get any calls. They didn't get any offers. So they were no, there was no chance of them drafting Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb unless they took them at number 11 instead of Mekhi Becton. Mekhi Becton looks like a franchise left tackle, so they made the right call. They drafted Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims hurt his hamstrings. It's a he hurt his hamstrings after no offseason conditioning program, no OTAs, no minicamp. Like it's a fluke injury. It's a hamstring strain. It's not like the guy had a chronic knee issue. The Jets took a chance at him in the first round, and then he hurt his knee again. I mean, that's that's what they did at the off. Like they they that was the problem, right? Like that was that was they drafted the guy in the second round. Now, can you make the argument? that they they should have drafted somebody else as well. They shouldn't have taken James Morgan, the quarterback. They should have taken him. They should have taken Ashton Davis. Absolutely. You can make those arguments, especially on James Morgan. I'm not willing to write off Ashton Davis yet because that's a guy who I think is going to be this team's starting safety next year, and he looks like a really good player, and he has a lot of potential, and he can be a starting player in the NFL. Could they have used a, a receiver as well? Sure. But the Jets had their visions of Jameson Crowder, Brashad Perryman, Denzel Mims. Now we're going to take Ashton Davis, and now we get that as well. So I, I don't. I see the James Morgan pick as one where okay, you should have got another playmaker. But the Jets did things at receiver; it just hasn't worked because Perryman, the guy they signed, he's out. Mims, the guy they drafted, he's hurt. You haven't seen the receivers, and the Jets don't have receivers because of all the injuries. The offensive line, okay. What else was the Jet? What else were the Jets supposed to do? Right? Because you can make the argument of. Um, the, the dude who went to Jack Conklin, right? The Jets didn't view him as a top-tier offensive tackle. They didn't view that. They didn't want to give him the $15 million. So they went out and they didn't. They, they signed George Fon, a guy who they thought was was going to be better, and it didn't really work out. I mean, they Graham Glasgow was not going to come and play for the Jets. He didn't want to come and play in New York. It was never going to be an option unless the Jets overpaid like hell for him. So they signed Greg Van Roten, which obviously didn't work. The Jets were going to back up the Brinks truck for Joe Tooney. 
They were going to do that. They were going to give the Brinks truck to Joe Tooney because they viewed him as the player that they were willing to break the bank for. The Patriots knew this, so they franchise tagged him. They did never, He never hit free agency, so they went and they drafted Cameron Clark, another guy they're going to develop in the middle rounds. Like, I think what, what people need to remember here is that Joe Douglas has only had one offseason. And, and if you want to say, like, the sec, right, secondary, that's another problem with the Jets right now is the corner situation. Signed Pierre Desir, traded for Quincy Wilson, like, drafted Bryce Hall, who's still, like, the developmental player who's still coming back from that nasty injury he suffered in college. Like, who were the other free agent corners that he could have gone out and got? James Bradbury, the Jets were in that until the final running. James Bradbury decided to go sign with the Giants. Like, the Giants blew James Bradbury ahead with a contract, but the Jets were in there to the final running. It came down to the Giants or the Jets. That's who were in the running for James Bradbury. The Jets missed on him, so they went and they got Pierre Desir as the consolation prize. I don't think it makes sense. Like, you want to criticize some of the things that Joe Douglas did. You're right. Not bringing back Robbie Anderson, big red flag. Not drafting another receiver this year is a red flag. That's an issue. But, like, you can't say he's terrible at drafting when Mekhi Becton looks like a franchise left tackle. Everyone else that, th- that he's drafted has been banged up and hurt. Denzel Mims has not played. Ashton Davis just got back after he got hurt. James Morgan, obviously, is the one where it's like you drafted a developmental quarterback with other holes. Like, that's probably a—you shouldn't have done that, dude. But still— James Moore, you can't really write off yet. Cameron Clark's been hurt. Jabari Zuninga is hurt, but he should be working his way back now. Denzel Mims, like I said, you haven't seen. Bryce Hall, you haven't seen. Like, there are guys here that the Jets drafted, which you can't evaluate them because they have not played. Like, the odds of rookies just coming in year one, every single one of your picks, and just being studs, it doesn't generally happen. It takes them time. So it's like, you got to give Joe more, more time. This Jets... The problems that the Jets are having right now, the roster problems that you're seeing right now, it's not Joe Douglas's problem. It's the fact that this team has been absolutely dreadful at drafting for the last decade. John Idzik put this team back. Mike McCagnan put this team back. And now Joe Douglas has been hired to fix eight years of issues in basically one offseason. And it's it's not going to happen. It's going to take time. And, and I, I think that he does deserve some criticism. He does deserve some critiquing. He does deserve some of the the say for why this team has gone this has why things have gone this south but if you look at the reason why the jets are struggling so much this year a lot of it has to do with the fact that players that are playing right because you look at all the injuries that are happening Brashad Perryman down Denzel Mims down Jamison Crowder was missing time the players that fill in for your starters when they get hurt those are the guys that you draft in the middle rounds those are the guys that you have in your system a couple years that then fill in for the starters get their chance to shine, they at least hold the fort down. Some of them play really well, earn the starting job themselves, or play really well, and then eventually go free agents and are starters elsewhere. Those players, that depth, the Jets don't have those players. They don't have that depth because Mike McCagnin failed miserably during the 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018 drafts. John Idzik failed miserably during the 2013, 2014 drafts. Mike Tannenbaum wasn't better before him, which is why he was fired and John Idzik replaced him. So it's like this is... 10 plus years of futility in the NFL draft that Joe Douglas has to make up for. It's why he was not willing to sign with the Jets unless Christopher Johnson gave him a six-year deal. He was not willing to do any of this unless he got a six-year contract because he realized it was going to take time. So can you be upset that the Jets are not better? Yes. Can you be angry that the Jets are a winless, uncompetitive mess? Yes. Can you be mad at the coaching staff? Yes. It sure does not look like the Jets made the right decision in hiring Adam Gase, and this is why the team's going to move on from in 2021, like after this season. Not, you're not going to give him 2021. They're going to fire him after this year. But to say, like, Joe Douglas is a bum, Joe Douglas doesn't work, Joe Douglas deserves to be ripped and torn apart, Joe Douglas has had one free agent class. 
He's had one draft class. You can't evaluate his draft class because right now they're all banged up, and they're banged up because none of these guys had an offseason program. The free agent class was an underwhelming free agent class, and Joe Douglas's passive nature in spending this year is why the Jets have $70 million set per over the cap to begin this coming offseason where Juju's going to be there and Sheriff's going to be there and Tooney's going to be there and the Saints are going to have to cut half their team because they are like $80 million over their salary cap. All of these stud players, I mean, uh, the receivers that are going to be out there are going to be nuts. Go down the list and you see there are legitimate number one wide receivers that are not just Juju that are set to be free agents this year. The Jets are going to have the third most cap space is $70 million, and they can increase that to $100 million by cutting Henry Anderson and, and by cutting um, uh, Le'Veon Bell and by moving on from Font or Van Roten if they don't believe that either of those guys are the answers either. The Jets have all of this financial wiggle room because they did not go batshit crazy during a free agent class that they believed was subpar. Now they have all of the money to go into a free agent class that they believe is going to be littered with A players. So it's 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 tough to, to rip the guy apart because a lot of the problems that Jets are having right now are not Joe Douglas problems. They're problems that stem from the end of Tannenbaum's run. They're problems that stem from, from uh, John Edzik. And they're problems that stem from Mike McCagnan. And all of these issues that the Jets have had over the last decade plus, you're seeing the result of it now. This is not one-off season of, of being timid, uh, which is why the Jets are a winless disaster. They're this because of all the past problems. And Joe Douglas is trying to fix this, and he's trying to build it the right way, not with Band-Aid fixes, but by go- putting his team with with putting his team under intense, legitimate surgery to make them better. And it's going to take time, but you got to give the guy at least some benefit of the doubt. Uh, and I, I believe he did, like the Robbie Anderson criticized him for, James Morgan criticized him for, but the, the amount of scrutiny he's been receiving lately, I just, I don't, I don't think it's warranted, honestly. All right, let's look ahead to the draft a little bit and look ahead to the, the teams that are in it now with the Jets because the the teams that are winless has been whittled down to just three. The Jets, the Giants, the Falcons. The Falcons have fired head coach Dan Quinn. The Giants have a first-year head coach in Joe Judge. And the Jets still have Adam Gase. The Texans were 0-4. They fired Bill O'Brien. But that's that's the way it's going to shake down. And it looks, Connor, to me, like the Jets and Giants kind of, to me, have the inside track. We're going to see how it all pans out. But the Trevor Lawrence watch had his first real true test this week against Miami in a big ACC showdown. Wasn't much of a test. 42-17, Clemson rolled. Lawrence was 29-41, of 291 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He has 10 touchdowns, zero interceptions on the season. And, I mean, he went back for his junior year, obviously, because he had to. And, um, you know, there's little things to work on. Completion percentage. He's raised that up from 66% during his sophomore year to 72% this year so far. And he's just, he's the man. We'll see where the Jets are picking. Yeah, this is what I, I do want to I do want to talk about this because I see it on Twitter a lot and, and I thought I was I thought I was really clear on this. Like I thought that this was something that that I was I wasn't like mistaken on. I, I think what people misinterpret when I talk about the Jets drafting Trevor Lawrence is is they view that as a slight at at Sam Darnold and and that the Jets need a new quarterback. And that's what I'm saying is that you know the Jets the Jets are, are, oh man, if the Jets go 4-12 and this year, it means they need a new quarterback, they need to trade Sam Darnold. No, when we talk about Trevor Lawrence, we're not, we're not referencing like the Jets need a new quarterback. We're referencing the opportunity that if the Jets season, if the Jets finish 1-15, and they finish 2-14, and and they have the number one pick in the draft, and they have a chance to draft Trevor Lawrence organically, you cannot pass on this guy. You cannot risk being known 
as the team that passed on a generational player. Trevor Lawrence, obviously, look, the draft's unknown. There was there, there are players every year that you think are going to be studs that aren't going to be studs. The guys that make it, the guys that don't, all this stuff. You know, you, you think these guys are great. But this guy is, is the best top-to-bottom quarterback prospect with virtually no red flags that you're going to find since Andrew Luck. Like, that's what you're seeing. And you can talk about the program he plays and the teams he's playing, the success he's already won, the fact that Clemson's been a quarterback factory recently, all this stuff. But you watch the guy play. You watch how how advanced he is with, with, with his, his reading of the defense, his progressions, his ability to go from one to the next. Then you go to his physical talents. You know, he's got the cannon for an arm. He's wildly accurate. He can also move around in the pocket. The fact he's been durable. I mean, he's been under the spotlight since his freshman year, and he still had success. He had to replace Deshaun Watson. Who was the kid um, that came after Deshaun Watson that took him to the national title? I, f- I forget his Brian. name. He didn't... Yeah, right. he he didn't make it right. He's not an, he didn't go to the NFL. Right, I'm not mistaken. And it he was got well. Clear. It was interesting because he got he was back and what two games into Lawrence's freshman year, they made him the starter over the guy yeah. who had been a wildly successful quarterback there for a year, basically. Because they realized and then he had to transfer. It. Yeah, as a freshman, and they saw right. it, and they were like, "This kid's different," and they put him in there from the jump. I mean, I remember my my my. Uh, Marissa's cousin, one of my old roommates, Andrew Galecki, is a big Clemson guy. And I remember him sending me a clip five years, four years ago of Trevor Lawrence in a spring game. And he goes, this kid is the next deal. And it was like that touchdown pass that he threw down the right sideline in like the, the Clemson scrimmage or whatever. Trevor Lawrence, if you have the chance to draft him, you have to draft Trevor Lawrence. This isn't if the Jets are picking third, they're suddenly considering fields from Ohio State. This isn't if the Jets are picking fifth, they're considering the quarterback that comes after Lawrence or Fields. This isn't if the Jets are picking 10th, they're going to try to move up to three to get Fields after Lawrence already goes. This isn't, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that this is, if this season keeps going the way that it is for the Jets and they finish one and 15 and they finish two and 14 and they finish whatever and they're they're suddenly picking so, so high in the draft that they have a chance to draft Trevor Lawrence organically, you have to draft Trevor Lawrence. You have to take Trevor Lawrence. There are all of these concerns with Sam Darnold. There are, there are, he's regressed this year, and you can blame the coaching, you can blame the playmakers, you can blame the offensive line. It still doesn't erase the fact that you have these questions, you have an incomplete evaluation, and now on top of that, you now have durability concerns with Sam Darnold. But in my opinion, it is Trevor Lawrence at number one, if you're picking number one, or if you're number two, if you're number three, if you're number four, you're keeping Sam Darnold and you're continuing to run out. Like those are the Jets' two options at the end of this year. It's either if Trevor Lawrence is there, you're drafting Trevor Lawrence, or you're going to keep and ride with Sam Darnold if you're not available to draft Trevor Lawrence. But I don't see how you have this guy sitting there in your lap and you say, you know what, I'm going to trade the pick to somebody else and I'm going to take a gamble on Sam Darnold. I just don't see how you do that because Lawrence is the guy that is generational. Lawrence is the guy that if he was in that same draft class with Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson. If he's in that draft class with everyone else, I'm almost, I'm fairly certain that you could go in knowing how all of these guys would turn out, knowing that the Darn, and and you're still going to draft Trevor Lawrence one overall. You're still going to take Trevor Lawrence over Baker. You're going to take Trevor Lawrence over Josh Allen. You're going to take Trevor Lawrence potentially over Lamar Jackson. And you're going to take, maybe not that one. And you're going to take Trevor Lawrence over over Sam Darnold. Maybe it would be Lamar Jackson one, knowing what you know now, and, and Trevor Lawrence two. And then everyone else would follow in after that. He's 
that you can't, the Jets cannot risk being known as the team that passed on Lawrence. And that's why you can flip Sam Darnold for a second round pick, trade him to the Steelers. I think that would be the perfect landing spot for him. Uh, trade him to another team that, that's kind of maybe, well, you're never going to trade him to the Patriots, but like trade him to a team that's kind of like that quarterback away or that has the agent, the Colts or another option with Phillip Rivers kind of getting a little older. Trade him to the Colts, trade him to the Steelers, get your second round pick, get your third round pick, continue to round out this roster, and then you got to take Trevor Lawrence. But if you're not in a position to draft Trevor Lawrence, if you're not there, if you're you're looking at, you know, you're picking three or you're picking two and Trevor Lawrence is gone at number one, which is obviously where he's going to be, then you keep Sam Darnold. Then you trade back to a team that wants Fields and you get uh, Chase, the wide receiver from LSU, and, and you move on. You, you continue to round out the roster with all the, uh, bo- the bounty of picks you're going to get. It's literally you draft Trevor Lawrence one or you keep Sam Darnold at two or three and then trade the other picks to somebody else. This isn't the Jets need a quarterback. That's not what I'm saying. It's not that the Jets have to draft another quarterback and give up on Sam Darnold. It's that if you can draft Trevor Lawrence organically, you draft Trevor Lawrence organically. And, and you mentioned the the race for, for the number one pick. I don't think it's much of a race, man. I honestly don't. I've watched every minute of this Jets season. And last night, I actually flipped on uh, ESPN Plus and watched primetime with Boomer. Uh, kind of like remembering when I was a kid again, like watching those highlights. Watching these other winless teams play, watching the Falcons, watching uh, the the Giants, watching there's no comparison. The, the the Falcons would beat the Jets by three by three touchdowns. The Giants would beat the Jets by by twenty points. Like there's no there's no comparison. The Jets are in a league of their own of an of an aptitude. Like they are they are in a league of their own in struggles. They are steamrolling toward the top pick in the draft. These these other teams are bad. These other teams are not good. These other teams are 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 going to be picking top five in the draft. But the Jets are such the clear-cut favorite for the number one pick because they are that much worse. They are not bad. They are horrible, and they are the undisputed worst team in the NFL. And they are going towards that number one pick with or without Sam Darnold under center. They literally lost to Brett Ripon, a third-string quarterback, making the first start of his career on a short week at home. Like, it doesn't get worse. Like, it's not it's not getting better here. So you can say, like, oh, it's the Giants. Or, watch the Giant games. Giants just gave the Cowboys a run for the money. Giants gave the Bears a run for the money. The Giants actually flirted with beating the Steelers in the opener, too. They're competing. The Jets are not competing. They've lost every game by two-plus possessions. So I don't think there's any doubt who's going to be picking first in my mind. And, and you can talk about, oh, maybe the Jets will steal a game. Oh, maybe the Jets will get one here or there. Find me where they're going to steal a game. Like, where's the easy... Like, you thought maybe the Browns, right? Browns are 4-1 and one now. You think the Dolphins? The Dolphins just put a whooping on the 49ers, and the 49ers put a whooping on the Jets. Like, it's... it's They're going to have to steal one from a team that maybe catches them sleeping, and even then, I don't I don't think it's possible. Where I, it's, I don't know about 0-16 yet. I don't know if that's, that's realistic. If we're at 0-10, then we can start talking about 0-16. But where it's headed right now... I don't see the Jets more than pretend, maybe winning one or two games, and that's if they steal a team and catch them sleeping. And if that's the case, they're going to be they're going to be picking one. The Giants will be able to beat Washington one or two times. The Giants will be able to steal another one from the Cowboys now without Dak Prescott. Like the Falcons, now that they made a coaching change, they'll get a little boost. And that team's also loaded with talent: Julio, Calvin, Matt Ryan. I mean, that team's got Todd Gurley. Like that team's good. Like they have talent on that roster where they're going to be able to win some games. The Jets are. The Jets are not like the Jets. The Jets are in a league of their own, and and if this goes this way and they're picking one, I don't see how you pass on Lawrence. Like I don't, I just don't see how you pass on it because you cannot risk being known as the team that gave up on Lawrence. And if you take the gamble and you go with Lawrence and you miss, it's like he was a generational player. Everyone thought it's like it was bad luck, but you can't, you can't trade that pick 
to gamble on Sam Darnold turning it around. You just can. And the best way to describe it is if Trevor Lawrence and Sam Darnold were in the exact same class right now, if they were going into the exact same draft, there is no doubt who 32 teams are going to take. There is no doubt who 32 teams. If Sam Darnold is there, you can talk about Sam Darnold right now. You can talk about Sam Darnold coming out of USC versus, Clem- versus Trevor Lawrence right now. If they are both in the exact same class right now, everyone, all 32 teams, Sam Darnold's parents might be taking Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that guy is, that's not a slight, and that's not a slight at Sam. That's not a slight at Sam. It is, it is seriously, it is a testament to the quarterback prospect that is Trevor Lawrence. And Jet fans should not be sitting here saying like, oh, oh, this is, but we have Sam, but we have Sam. No, forget this. We need to win, so we keep Sam. Forget all of that. Realize that this team has an actual chance to potentially draft Trevor Lawrence. That what never seemed possible is actually there. And and for all the problems the Jets have had and all the issues and all the mistakes they've made, the football gods might actually give them a favor in dropping Trevor Lawrence in their lap. And if that happens, it's all worth it. It's, it, is all, it is all worth it because I've seen this kid play, man, and I've talked to people who have seen this kid play. When you see the grade that this kid's going to get from the vast majority of scouts, you don't pass on him. You can't. You can't pass on him. Yeah, I mean, when sometimes the timing just works out for your ineptitude, and you think about in New York, right? The Rangers getting Lafreniere this year it just worked out that they got that number one pick in a year where it's just a special player. We would think, and that could be the case for the Jets and Trevor Lawrence. We'll have to see. It's been a lively chat today as well, uh, Marissa. Anything good going on in there? Um, so, you know, you're talking about parents and Sam Darnold's parents. Well, we got a question from Tom, who is a dad. He says, I'm watching this podcast with my five month old. Is there any oh. hope? Yes. Very cute. Is there any hope to make her a Jets fan or should I just let her mother buy her all the giant stuff she wants to? A Jets Giants household. That's it. Yeah, I know uh, Bree and I are going to have that issue with because uh, I'm not an Eagles fan. I do not like the Eagles and she's her whole family's a dire Eagle fan. And we're going to have we're going to have a nice little fun battle there with with what team the kid's gonna root for but uh I don't know I look I I think it's, I don't know I've covered the team since 14 and it's just loss after loss after loss with the one little Fitz magic thing so uh I I think if you've suffered through it your entire life let your daughter suffer through it too just, just <laughs> find, find somebody find somebody to hold on and share in the misery because what do they say misery loves company so I would I would go with that maybe she can that. enjoy the Trevor Lawrence era who knows yeah who knows? Hey, maybe it, all she'll you. know is winning by then who knows she's only and five everyone said, old. And, I did dive in there. Look, some people saying like, oh, the Jets will ruin Trevor Lawrence. I, I'm just, I know it's blind faith, but I'm telling you, just trust Joe Douglas. Like I, I've, I've called and talked to so many people that know this guy that say he is the right, he's going to do this the right way. And it's going to be ugly in the beginning because that team has so many issues and there's so many problems right now, but he's going to do it the right way and build this the right way. And eventually you're going to have the final product that you want. It's just going to take some time. And I thought, Christopher Johnson thought, Adam Gase thought, uh, Joe Douglas thought that Sam was going to be the guy leading that charge. If it's Trevor Lawrence, that's an even better option because now you're going to flip Sam for a second or a third round pick, get another second round or third round pick in this year's draft. You still have the second first rounder. I mean, they can, with that and then all the cap space, the turnaround doesn't have to take that long. It's not going to take take that that long. So it's it's the it's there. It's just, I just hold on. Just believe in this. Believe in Joe Douglas. Don't believe in a lot about this team, but you can believe in Joe Douglas. I truly believe that. Faith in Joe Douglas. We'll try to hang on to something, and that's what, that's all we have is a, is a dream <laughs> of Trevor Lawrence under center for this team. That's going to do it for this week's edition. Um, we are going to be back with you later in the week. Get you ready for that Chargers game as the Jets. We'll see if they go to 0-6 or suddenly 
finally find their way into the win column. If you need a subscription to The Athletic or have a friend who needs one, go to theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast. You can join right now for just $1 a month. Follow us all on Twitter as well. It's Connor underscore J underscore Hughes for Connor. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Marissa's at Marissa underscore Morris. That's going to do it for this edition of the can't wait podcast. Have a great day, everyone. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.